Hi everyone, Paul from the Innovation Community here. Today I'm with Rachel Pillsbury from Riviera Travel. Uh, she's the head of insight there and she's currently evolving this 30-year company into a data leader in the leisure, travel and tourism space. Great to have you with us. Hello, it's great to be here. Good to have you. So tell us a bit about yourself in a few words. Uh, well, um, so like I said, I head up um, Insight at Riviera Travel. Um, I suppose my insight journey started probably about um 17 years ago when i moved over uh, to the uk from the united states um i came here to get a master's degree in computer science um and uh and it pretty much just stayed after that i came uh, to and got my master's degree at nottingham Trent university um and then got my foot in the door um and found my way in analytics from starting at a software company and moving to um, a gambling company and then on to Boots um, and then on to Ikea and then I find myself now at Riviera Travel so I've kind of done quite a, a varied um, kind of varied background uh, as well. I think one of the more interesting things about my background is I actually started in archaeology is my bachelor's degree um and so some people say how did you switch from archaeology into computer science but actually when you look at archaeology as a field right now a lot of it has to do with statistics and problem solving and digging and finding um patterns and various things so i don't see quite a big leap actually so um in fact when i was um working on my archaeology degree um i worked in a museum and my favorite bit was entering data in, the, in their database about rocks and bones and stuff so so yeah um i've got a bit of a varied background but but now i find myself in travel uh, which i find interesting especially in these times a bit difficult in these times actually um but yeah yeah it's a bit interesting background there's got to be a joke about data mining in there somewhere you probably heard them all <laughs> yeah, <sounds like. laughs> uh, do you do you prefer the us or the uk as a country as a whole uh, interesting question. Um, I think when you move countries, you probably prefer the one that you move to rather than the one that you've moved mm. from. Um, the US is not having a great time at the moment. Um, and I much prefer to be in the UK. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I've lived here for 17 years, most of my adult life. I prefer the UK, uh, the humor, the wit, the sarcasm the camaraderie, all that. So yes, I prefer it here. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you've gone from working in data entry to a museum to now heading up insights. How, how, you know, where did you make that change? Um, so do you mean like from my very first job in, in data to now? Kind yeah. Of when, when, when did you start drawing the insights rather than just entering data? Oh yes. The... Well, I think I've been a bit lucky in my career where um, I've, well, I've always been given the room to grow and given the uh, room to try and excel. So even in my first job, even though it was, my first job was as a report writer for a software company, um, it was still trying to tell a story. You're always trying to tell a story no matter what you're doing. Um, because D data on its own never makes sense. It's just about, you know, you don't want to just say, here's some numbers. You want to say, well, what does that mean and how can you use it? Um, so I moved up quite quickly in my first job 
from being a report writer to being the head of um, the data team there um, in three years. Um, and so it was, I was always trying to find the connection between numbers and actionable insight. Um, and then from there, I moved on to a gambling company uh, where I was customer insight bingo analyst was my title. Um, <laughs> analyzing how people played bingo. Um, but again, it's just, you're still trying to make those connections. You're still trying to um, find out, here's a number, this is what it means, and this is what you can do with it. So, um, but yeah, I think it, it, it wasn't until I went and um, got to Boots um, where there was a lot more people to interact with and to um, challenge me and to sort of bring out that sort of inquisitive nature that's kind of where I made the leap to going from just, you know, your regular insight analyst to something a little bit more senior. So what's the, uh, the crux of it? What really interests you about working with data? What's like the, the, the heart of it for you? Um, I suppose it's, a, it's mostly the problem solving. Um, I think a lot of people will say that if you work in data every day, it's different and it is. Um, but it's that satisfaction that you've solved a puzzle. Um, it's the satisfaction that you're taking, you're finding a pattern, you're finding a trend, you're finding a number and you're finding the cause and the effect of what that number means. And therefore you can then use that to um, help somebody make a better business decision. And then you see that develop into a strategy and you see that develop into, into revenue and you played a significant part in that and i think that is why data is so important right now and that's why people like us are so important right now is because we're the ones who are sort of um in a way translating data into something that's completely understandable to somebody who isn't as savvy with it and and we're kind of like translating a language if you will um and yeah and, and i find it going from something like finding a, just a little nugget of information and, and seeing that progress into a strategy is really brilliant it sounds like you're very passionate about it, which is, of course, uh, you know, half the battle. So um, what are some of the major successes you've achieved over your career so far? Um, I'm really, really proud of the work I've done at Riviera Travel. Um, it's essentially, I mean, when I was called um, about this job, I'd never heard of Riviera Travel. Most people probably haven't. It's, if, if you do know about it, it or maybe you don't, it's uh, river cruises and escorted tours. Um, the equivalent in the U.S. would be Viking. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought, oh, travel, that's interesting. Um, and so, but the reason that they wanted me is they wanted somebody to sort of come in and define what insight was in the business. There was nothing there. Um, and when I showed up, they, they, had a, they had an external agency that was helping with some very minor reports. And I just realized that it was just a blank sheet. There was, there was just nothing established. And I built up that insight team from scratch, from nothing, and, and made us into an award-winning and nationally recognized team. So that is my proudest achievement. Yeah, building a, a data stream from scratch is definitely a, a huge challenge. And I think a big part of that is, is the, the talent side. How are you approaching the sourcing data talent? You know, working, I, I would call it the North. I think a lot of, a lot of Northerners <laughs> would disagree with me, but what, <laughs> in the Midlands then, what we, that's uh, yeah, in the Midlands. So uh, I would class a place like London or New York as, as a data hub. Maybe that's like a, a preconception that I need to break, but I imagine that must come with its challenges. Uh, it definitely does. Um, I mean, there are some pockets of, of data hubs outside London. Um, and, 
and I think the East Midlands especially is one which is you know where where I kind of you know got a lot of my experience and then you've got Boots and you've got Capital One and Eon and a lot of big players sort of sitting there but yet those people kind of still stay around Nottingham um I got pulled out of that environment to lovely Burton which is where um Riviera Travel Space. So Burton on Trent is halfway between Derby and Birmingham. If anybody's you know trying to understand where it is, especially your international listeners, it's it is kind of um, you're not going to find a lot of talent there. Um, and if you do, you have to pay them a significant wage to try and pull them in. Um, so you have you could have that going for for you try and convince somebody to either move to the area or pay them a little bit more to travel that bit further but what i found um was actually just finding homegrown talent within your company uh is really successful um i mean i've worked at big companies where a lot of the recruitment comes from the local universities and to some extent that that, that can be successful but you do find that they're used to data in a certain environment they're used to more perfect uh, analytical environments where you know they're in a university environment is not a real world environment whereas if you find somebody who might have those problem solving skills they're numerate um they like a challenge um they like to make lists they like to solve puzzles that sort of inquisitive nature that natural inquisitive nature if you find people like that in your business who already understand your business so you you're over that first hurdle of just well, they, they get the business in the first place. All you need to do is teach them the technology. Um, it's just joining those dots together. So I was really lucky in finding some really incredible talent within Riviera Travel. All uh, three quarters of my team started out in the reservations team, so answering the phones and taking bookings. Um, you just you just need to find people who have that raw talent that is really difficult to teach that all analysts have all really good analysts have, which is that problem solving uh, skill. So as soon as you find that, then you can sort of build up the skills and build up the team. And then you actually, the other benefit is that homegrown talent, yeah, they are cheaper, um, but they also come from varied backgrounds. So they might um, have, um, uh, they probably don't have mathematics degrees, but they might have a design degree. So that makes them tell stories really well because they know how to visualize really well. <laughs> Two of my team have, have design degrees. So it's just, you end up having a more well-rounded well team. And I think, I think I'm really lucky as well in, in that you sort of um, have this well-rounded team that isn't so heavily involved in statistics where you where that's the traditional route of, of getting data scientists and analysts and, and things like that so um but what you have to do absolutely have to do is once they are trained up and they're excellent analysts you have to reward them for that you have to keep them in line with the market because as soon as they start falling behind they'll start recognizing their talent and go elsewhere so you do have to kind of make sure that you're not just in this bubble of being outside a, a data uh, or analytics community and hub and and still try and keep up with with the big boys because I mean that's why I'm so involved in, in data IQ is finding out what everybody else is doing what wherever their sector is wherever they are in the country um, challenging our, our ideas you know nicking some of their ideas and helping me each other get better and better and from someone who's built that organization from scratch you're probably quite well placed to to answer this so how diverse would you go when you're saying okay we're recruiting internally i mean what's the where's the limit where, where do you draw the line 
Um, <laughs> I well, the way I, I recruit is from the bottom up. So you you always I almost always just you know recruit junior analysts and keep and just and promote with it in. Um, so I give everybody a chance, and the way the way I do it is in the interview. I kind of give them. Um, a few problems to solve on the spot to see if they've got an analytical mind. I, tr I try and get them to analyze something, um, nothing pre-prepared. So, so I give them like a brain teaser. I give them SQL and say, right, can you tell me what this does? And if somebody can figure out what SQL does in, a, in an interview situation, um, in, in, in that presser situation and kind of figure out this is what this could be doing, that's the, those sorts of things are the sparks that I can see that I can work with and I can be like, oh, right, okay, so you understand, you get sort of patterns and, and, and you can solve problems. And, and, and to me, that's all I need to find. So as far as diversity, I think it's completely, you know, it could be, you could be as young as old and from any different background. If you've got that mindset, if you've got that analytical mindset, I'll be willing to give you a go. It's very egalitarian. I like it. Uh, so how are Riviera currently leveraging technology to, to their advantage? What effects also do you think this will have over the next few years? Um, well, technology at Riviera Travel. Uh, I mean, I think that we're a little bit behind. Um, so I don't know if I would say we're at the forefront of leveraging what we could be doing. However, at least within my team, um, the technology that we use is... Um, SQL and R. Um, and for us, that gives us the ultimate flexibility to be able to do whatever we want. Um, we're not stuck in a certain CRM. We're not stuck using certain tools. Uh, and, and especially with R these days, you could do anything with that. You can create segmentations, you could do visualization, you could do machine learning models. It just anything dashboards there's so much you could do with it and then SQL for us is how we just you know hit the database and 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 analyze just do exploratory analysis that way um and so for us that's how we kind of been I think ahead of a lot of people more flexible than a lot of people be able to churn out things faster because we have that flexibility um it certainly has its downsides with R and SQL automation is not that easy so once you do establish something um, you know, productionizing it, churning it out becomes a little bit more difficult, but that's where then something like Python comes in and Python maybe is, is a bit better at automation. And so we're working with things like that, but I think technology wise, we're all for the, the free, <laughs> and the, the open source, because it allows us to do what we want to do um, the fastest way we know how. Yeah, and there's some really great resources out there, especially with Python in terms of the projects that people can take on. Uh, and if you've got passionate analysts that are willing to do that, uh, I mean, I know, I know people who, who would do it in their own time as well. So you, you've got like, uh, if you're using all of those, those systems, then you're, you're good to go. Just moving it back to the people then, how would you describe your leadership style? Oh, um, well, I really enjoy being challenged. Like, I, I do worry sometimes that if I keep plowing ahead with my ideas, that you know, that's not always the best idea. So I like to surround myself with very smart people um, who like to say that I'm wrong and say, well, I think you're wrong because. And so I try to have a, a relatively flat structure. Not, it's just not official. There is, there is a hierarchy, 
but I think everybody should give the, be given the chance to lead. Everybody should be given the chance to uh, express their opinions openly, to say, I think you're wrong because of this. I think this way is a better thing to do because of that. Um, and that environment allows them to be really open as well um, and really trusting and, and say when they're having a problem, maybe with another colleague, maybe with the, the, something in the business. Um, and, and I'm very loyal to my team. Um, I, I, especially every year I travel because I built that up from scratch. I'm extremely loyal to them. So I kind of, in, in that environment where you feel like you're, op you're, it's, you're open to express yourself, therefore you can be open to air out any of your grievances and we can then sort those out the best way possible and then find how to make everybody at the end of the day a better analyst than they were last week, last month, last year. Because I want everybody who works for me, this is what I tell them when they first come to work for me, I say, I, I don't really care about very much of anything besides at the end of the year, I want you to say that you're a better, better analyst than you are right now. So that's my leadership style. And with the, the vision, a big challenge our members face uh, at the innovation community is how to engage and communicate the vision up the chain, up the hierarchy. Yeah. How do you approach that? Yeah, I think if there was anything I needed to work on personally, it would be this. Um, I think, um, but I have learned from my mistakes. I think you have to be good at PR. Um, you really have to champion your team and show people what they're doing and remind them what you're doing. Not everybody remembers that you're building this great uh, machine learning model factory. Uh, not everybody remembers that you've got this dashboard that actually can answer all their, their questions. And you have to kind of keep feeding them your wins and say, well, you know, we did this and uh, this could save you a, a load of time if you, if you stop doing that in Excel and you actually did something over here. It's, it's constant PR. You just have to keep reminding people that the analytics team is there as a service to support you, not to, not to go around you, not to one-up you, not anything like that. We are there as an analyst community. We are there to help people make better decisions um, and that we should be used in a similar way that IT is used. You know, it's just you are a function to help people. And so to communicate that vision, you have to be able to keep showing people what you're able to do and get that seat at the exec team, at that board level, wherever you can, just keep finding ways in to be able to tell people what the good that you're doing. Because if you don't keep telling them, they'll forget and then they'll say, oh, well, the insight team doesn't need to be as big as it needs to be and, and doesn't need as much funding as it, as it does. And, and so you just have to, you absolutely have to keep reminding them because they will forget. Makes a lot of sense. What was the biggest impact you made on a transformation outside of Riviera, do you think? Outside of Riviera? Um, well, I was really proud of the work I did with IKEA. Um, we uh, were trying to find where to put new IKEAs in the UK. Um, and they had a model that they used, which was all, all based purely on, on population. Um, and I, I just challenged the simple idea of maybe you should look at lookalikes rather than just population. So trying to find the biggest pools of people who actually shop at Ikea. Um, so it just meant segmenting and profiling existing customer bases and then finding the biggest parts of people um, that looked like Ikea shoppers, pretty much, you know, families, um, middle-class families, um, and 
where those people lived that wasn't currently covered by an existing IKEA. Um, and I, it was a bit, it was more revolutionary than I thought it would be. I thought it was a very simple idea, but sometimes simple ideas are the ones that create the most impact. So um, from all of this, we um, suggested that they build another IKEA. So uh, there was one in Manchester. They actually had built it on the wrong side of Manchester. It would have been better if they built it on the other side of Manchester. Um, they had one that they were planning on building in Sheffield and we said, oh yes, that's a good place to build one. Um, they had, they were going to build one in Norwich and we said, don't build one there. And then they did and it failed. And so it, it was just like, it, it was actually a bit satisfying to say, is it like, oh, we told you so. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's like just using data cleverly. Um, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be um, hugely, innovative it just makes a big impact yeah that's uh that's a really good case study actually i mean if it was like a, a completely gut-based decision i'd say put an ikea nearer to me <laughs> <laughs> um what was the biggest mistake you made during your career in your oh it, well it goes back to the previous question which was i i failed to tell riviera travel how good the insight team is um, I f failed to remind people of all the good work that we were doing. Um, and it's, yeah, it sort of came at a price recently. Um, so we've had a, a, a redundancies at Riviera Travel. Um, and they asked me to make, um, three quarters of my team redundant. And I, uh, <laughs> And I just disagreed with this completely. I said, well, what, we provide so much value. We provide so much value for this company. And, um, and here are the reasons why, and here are the reasons that it's not a good idea. And I completely understand it in this environment of COVID-19 and travel and our base customer is, is on average 72 years old. So we were just being hit on all sides and yes, cuts needed to be made, but yet data and insight are the way forward. You, it's just not the right thing to do. And I kept thinking the reason why they had made this decision was because I failed to remind them of our value. However, I managed to talk them around with a bunch of data. I, anal I analyzed the situation and said, <clears throat> right, this is the budget that we're dealing with. This is what we need to get done. Here's the new structure that I proposed that's a much better um, idea and um, they did go along with it. So instead of 75% being made redundant, 25% got made redundant. So I ended up flipping it around, but it was, it was very stressful. And I think, yeah, if there's anything that um, reminded me of that mistake and, and remind me of, of having to do things from now on is, is that so I'm a, as a leader, as well as being trying to keep that flat hierarchy, I try and, um, I try to work from the bottom up rather than the top down. But as a leader in data and analytics and transformation, you have to do both. And so you have to like, you have to be at the coal phase and you have to figure out all the, all the problems and solve these things and why the databases are working over here and you need this tool over there and teach somebody R over here. But you also have to be at the board level and the exec level telling them exactly the plans that you're trying to do. I didn't do that enough. 
Um, and so if there was anything I would change, it would be that. Um, but, but I think, you know, a lot of us, in, as far as Riviera travel and the difficulties that we're going through, I know a lot of companies are going through the same thing. Um, I think we're all in the data community. I think we're all very lucky in that data is still massively in demand. Um, the one person that I had to make redundant has already found another job as a data analyst. So it's, you know, it's a tough time, but I think as far as the analytics community, we'll get through it. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a very humbling story. Appreciate you, you sharing that. How has it uh, directly affected your role? Were you working from home a lot before? Were you going into the office? Um, yeah, so uh, I have not been in the office since the 23rd of March. Um, and ever since then, I've been working from home. And um, I've been working the whole time. Um, 100% of the time and some of my colleagues got furloughed um, but uh, some of them didn't but we were all been working from home um, I think it gets us into a new new environment that we could take a lot of these positives and use them and and work with them I think my commute from I live in Nottingham to Burton was 45 minutes on a good day could be up to an hour and a half and not having to worry about that anymore has been really good. Um, and we've still got just as much done. We still, you know, talk to our colleagues just as much as we did before. Um, and I think this kind of opens up the world a little bit, um, especially in the UK. Like you said, everything's a bit London centric and I think it doesn't have to be. I mean, I've been throughout my career, have people have been trying to entice me down to London for various jobs. And I've always said no, just because there is this little bit of this analytical com community up here in Nottingham. And I've managed to find jobs that have been around here. But I think that this now sort of opens up London for me without still having, well, I could still stay in Nottingham. Um, and I think that is true for a lot of people. Like some, some of my colleagues think that, before this that they couldn't find anything outside Burton and I'm just like well Birmingham is just it's just 40 minutes away why can't you go work in Burton it's just like that mindset that they can't explore the world I think this is really going to help people kind of open up a bit ironically even though we, we've had to close down the world this is this is going to help people um, engage further afield um, virtually yeah, I 100% agree with that. What's your top working from home tip? <laughs> Don't work in your pajamas. Get dressed. <laughs> it's sort of, you could just, the day starts to slip away. If you're like, it's 11.30, you're like, oh, I haven't got dressed yet. Um, yeah, try and be structured. Try and, try and keep things structured. Try and keep uh, a zone in your house that is just for working so you can switch off. I mean, the, the first couple of months, there was days I was working until 9 p.m., which I wouldn't have done if I had to go to Burton. Um, so yeah, try and keep your home and your work separate, as much as separate as possible, and try and keep to a schedule. And uh, get up, stop for lunch, have a break, um, and, then, and then continue on. So yeah, so try and be as structured as possible. Have you implemented some sort of routine to go with that? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm probably my own worst enemy, but yeah, I try and um, 
get up and go for a run and then start work and then take a break um, and then ha and then work some more and have lunch. And so I have two break, I'm break in the morning and break in the, in the afternoon. I try, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you ever received? It was really recent, actually. Um, I think, I don't know that I think a lot of people out there especially women have have the old imposter syndrome. Um, the best advice I got recently was from the head of HR at the cooperative group. Um, she told me to know my worth. Uh, and it just sort of hit me that you kind of, you just, you, you fill yourself with doubt to think that you're not very good and um, that you're not a leader in the analytics community. I mean, I've got accolades, but I kind of think, I sometimes feel like I show up at, at these, functions and I'm and I say where I work I work head of insight at Riviera Travel and I'm uh, you know among the head of um, the chief data officer for Barclays and the chief data officer for this and it's like Zurich and Sainsbury's and Boots and these massive companies with massive analytics teams doing like you would think just the most innovative stuff and and yet when you talk to them everybody still has the same problems as you do even if you're a like, small little company like I am um, the fact that I built up something from scratch um, and got it to work and got it <laughs> to be really valuable and then got that nationally recognized, I think, just shows you that you got to put, you got, you know, pull out of the day to day and just see what you've done um, and make sure that you know that you know your worth. And so that, <laughs> that sort of kind of came as a little bit of a surprise to me. It's like, I kept thinking, oh, you know, if I don't say Riviera Travel, I'll just find another job, you know, being ahead of insight somewhere who's never used data before, just do Riviera Travel again. But no, actually, you know, this is my springboard to something bigger and better. So, yeah. So just, just know that you, like, you're probably your own worst enemy when it comes to criticism. What are you curious about right now? Um, that is a, that's a difficult question. I, I think, uh, I, th I think with data moving so fast, um, as far as just the volume of it, the velocity of it, um, I wonder if uh, we're, still in the, we're still in the area of hype, where we talk about data lakes and we talk about, you know, just real time this, and I just sort of feel like the things that I've been most successful with has just been really straightforward customer experience that hasn't really deviated too much in the last five or 10 years. I mean, it's just that you just have to be savvy with your touch points a little bit more um, and trying to get all that information into one place that's easy to then action on. That's what's difficult. Um, so I just want, I'm curious if that we keep bombarding ourselves with the latest innovation and technology if we're kind of giving, getting ahead of ourselves and making sure that should we make sure our foundations and our structures and the basics are correct first. Um, so I'm curious, I suppose, if other leaders um, are stripping everything back to the basics again um, and doing the similar things that I have been doing. So rather than trying to be at the forefront, you're just trying to like, well, I'm just trying to get the data in the right place at the right time to the right customer. 
And I can see you're uh, an avid reader. Who is currently your favorite author? Um, I, well, I always have a soft spot for Bill Bryson. He's, he's been my favorite author for decades, um, almost. Um, but I've, I've been reading a lot of um, Peter Ackroyd, who's just, he's a historian that just goes into the minute detail about the history of England. But anyway, so these are not very data, <laughs> data driven books that I read, but they're analytical in their own way. Um, so I do, I, I tend to, to lead toward nonfiction like Bill Bryson and, and Peter Ackroyd. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's what I tend to do. So I, I almost try and keep my, my data thinking and my, uh, leisure time thinking a bit separated but yeah i suppose they sort of intersect when you think about it yeah no i could definitely see that as an avid historian myself so last question what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data <sighs> um i i would say really focus on your team um I think I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have such strong people around me. Finding really smart people as a team to kind of build each other up um, and collaborate um, and get the best out of each other and challenge each other. Um, I think I've, I've seen a lot of leaders that um, kind of, it's not that they're in it for themselves, but they, they are more... Um, interested in how they appear outwardly and I just am completely focused on my team doing a good job in fact like in, in the day-to-day -day, at Riviera Travel I would always take the crap jobs because I wanted to give them the better jobs the more interesting ones and so I would give them all the really difficult analytical exploratory stuff so that they could get better and then I would be stuck with sorting out you know a problem with the database because people put too many duplicates in you know and just and, and various you know grunt work like that I would I would actually give that to myself um because because I wanted them to have the career and the experience. So I would say absolutely focus on your team, surround yourself with brilliant people and you will all end up getting better. Great. That was Rachel Pillsbury from Riviera Travel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.